welcome to the Canadian Nutrition Society podcast, Nutrition Conversations, a podcast dedicated to exploring the latest research in nutrition and health in Canada. In each episode, we invite expert guests to share their insight and knowledge on a wide range of topics from dietary patterns to sports nutrition, food insecurity, and food sustainability. Whether you're looking to improve your own health and wellness or simply stay up to date on the latest developments in the field of nutrition, we hope you'll join us on this journey to better understand the role food plays in our lives. Please note that the views expressed by speakers in CNS podcast are those of the speaker and not necessarily of CNS. Sitting in the host chair in this episode is Brock Williams, a PhD candidate from the University of British Columbia and chair of the Trainee Leadership Committee, who will be talking to Megan Nekniki, Dr. Sharon Panahi, Dr. William Yan, and Dr. Jean-Philippe Julien Chatier on Episode 5 of Nutrition Conversations on Lessons Learned from Carving Out Your Career Path. This podcast is supported by the CIHR INMD Training and Community Support Grant. Hello, Nutrition Conversations listeners. One of the biggest challenges that students face in their training is figuring out what path to take, what skills to obtain, and how to get started on their career journey. At the 2023 CNS Annual Conference, a diverse group of panelists from major career areas in nutrition discussed their paths and provided a taste of the different opportunities available for trainees at the Carving Your Career Path Trainee Symposium. On this episode, I'm pleased to chat with our four panelists to expand on our conversation from the trainee career panel on some of the lessons that they've learned on their career paths. Our first panelist, Megan Nekinicki, is a dietitian and is currently the Nutrition Manager for North America Retail and Global Health and Wellness Communications at General Mills, where she and her team provide strategic direction for business and research and development partners related to health and wellness. She also leads a team focused on communications with stakeholders on the company's nutrition commitments and advancements. Our second panelist is Dr. Jean-Philippe Jouin-Chartier, an assistant professor in the Faculty of Pharmacy at Université Laval and researcher in the uh, Nutrition Santé et Society, Nutris, of the Institut sur la Nutrition et l'Aimant Fonctionnel, where he focuses on the prevention and management of cardiometabolic diseases with diet and medication. His work leverages clinical, epidemiological, and metabolomics approaches. He's also a dietitian. Our third panelist, Dr. Shirin Panahi, is the scientific director of the Canadian Nutrition Society, where she provides scientific leadership, guidance for programs and educational initiatives offered by CNS, training supervision and mentorship, and the development of knowledge translation work. She is also a researcher at Université Laval, exploring the effects of diet and its components, particularly dairy products such as yogurt, on appetite control, metabolic health, and lifestyle factors in the prevention and management of obesity. Our fourth panelist is Dr. William Yan, a scientist emeritus from Health Canada, where he was director of the Bureau of Nutritional Sciences in the Food Directorate and led several high-profile ministerial uh, priorities under the Healthy Eating Strategy. 
He also led the work in developing a regulatory framework for products in the food natural health products interface, resulting in the publication of the new supplemented foods regulation in July of 2022 before he retired. Dr. Yan has also been an adjunct and part-time professor at the University of Ottawa for over 25 years. In 2023, Dr. Yan's career achievement was recognized by his appointment as health products and food branch scientist emeritus at Health Canada. I welcome you, Megan, Jean-Philippe, Shirin, and William to episode five of Nutrition Conversations. Thank you so much for joining us. Maybe I can uh, sort of speak on everyone's behalf and say thank you for, for having all of us here today. Thank you. Um, so it's really great to have representation from academia, industry, government, and not-for-profit for on the panel today, because each of you brings different skills and experiences to the table. One of the themes that came up from the symposium was the concept of building your toolbox and learning how to sell those skills. I was wondering if we can expand on this concept and talk a little bit about what we mean by building your toolbox. Maybe we can start with you, Jean-Philippe, and get your thoughts. Yes, um, thank you uh, for the great question. Um, I think that, uh, for instance, from an academic perspective, it's very important to develop cross-disciplinary knowledge and skills. And uh, all of that will be uh, supported by your curiosity. I think that, for instance, if you're being trained in fundamental sciences, uh, it's very important to develop curiosity, interest toward clinical, epidemiological, and, and even public health research. The contrary for me is also very true. Um, and the reason for that is that at some point in your career, uh, you will have to work with people from other disciplines. And also, you may also, uh, it's very uh, possible that you will have uh, professional career opportunities that will be. Uh, um, not directly in line with your scientific training and all of this and developing your curiosity and interest toward other fields will i think help you build your network because you will have a facility to uh, to uh, discuss with people from other background and all of that will also build up your communication skills i think that's that's my my take on it Great. And maybe we can get your thoughts next, Sharon, on how you can build your toolbox in the area of nutrition that you work in. Um, absolutely. Thanks so much. And and I agree with a lot of uh, Jean-Philippe's points. I think uh, he's, he's raised some pretty important, important points there. Um, when I first started my PhD at U of T, um, my, one of the first things Dr. Harvey Anderson advised me was that I need to put the right tools in my research toolkit. And I guess that was something for me to figure out. And so during graduate school, um, a lot of us wish to take the path to academia where, you know, the dream is to be a professor, which we know is challenging. And I think that university uh, trainees gain the research and, and teaching um, skills during their degrees, but many will eventually work in non-academic settings requiring other skills, which are not often obtained uh, during graduate school training. So. I think that developing um, both academic and non-academic skills would uh, equip trainees for future careers across multiple sectors. So maybe these can include skills related to project management, team building, leadership, knowledge translation communications, uh, just to give you a few examples. 
And so a lot of times we have to seek opportunities outside of graduate programs and universities. And I myself have participated in a lot of professional development activities, both during my graduate training and postdoctoral fellowships, uh, which have included things like leadership programs, for example, with the Danone Leadership Institute or at the Danish Diabetes Academy for postdoctoral fellows. So just throwing out some names for those who are who are interested for our listeners. And so these have allowed me to develop and improve skills that I could even adapt to my current position at CNS. Great. And William, how would this concept apply to a trainee that's particularly interested in government? Oh, yeah. I mean, it also applies absolutely in, in government and maybe even more so because you know, there's very few courses you can take that will teach you how to do public health policy and regulations. A lot of that has been learned by real life experience, trial and error, and you can only do that by, you know, doing it and, and, and learning that way. And, I mean, I'm retired now and I'm still learning new things every day, you know, how you interact with stakeholders, how you interact with partners, how you build relationships, both doing regular times and also doing difficult times when you're handling a crisis. So you never learn, stop learning and you never add to, stop adding tool to your toolbox. And, and I think that's what makes our work so interesting and allow us to explore things that are you know outside our comfort zone and allow us to do things that are not always the same. So we'll probably build on that as we go on. Like, you know, again, it's like gaining that experience, gaining the confidence to allow you to do things differently. And Megan, how has this applied in your career in industry? Yeah, thanks, Brock. I think, you know, one important position in my career was my dietetic internship. So in speaking to students, I think, you know, take advantage of the place where you are, where you can do pretty quick internships, three months, six months. You learn a lot through those experiences. But, you know, I didn't have any experience in industry, just as Will talked about um, public health. Um, I originally went to public health in the U.S. and then switched to industry. So I think, you know, working in various settings, taking advantage of internships, taking advantage of all opportunities during your uh, academic career. And then I also think a toolbox has different skill sets. So I've had to learn many different skill sets in industry, like project management, people management, deep technical expertise, um, so, you know, there's lots of skills you can learn that I think in any job, whether it's in nutrition, in research, uh, et cetera, you need lots of different skills. And I would just say, um, you know, you want to have a diverse skill set, but you also want to do things that you really enjoy along the way. Um, you know, I wanted to learn labeling. It was not where I really found a lot of enjoyment. And so I tried it. Um, it was a cross-functional mini project and it was somewhere I didn't stay very long. So if you really don't have a passion for it, I, I commend you for trying, but know that you can also move on to something you have a lot more interest in. Thank you all for sharing your insights on how we can build those tools as trainee and build up our toolbox. I do want to shift gears a little bit um, to talk a little bit about resilience and overcoming defeat or setbacks. You know, as trainees, we typically have many moments along our training journey that can feel like failures or setbacks. It may be things like not getting um, funding for a trainee award or not getting that job you really wanted, or even having a paper rejected by a journal. How have each of you dealt with challenges throughout your training and your career? And how have you kind of built skills to, to overcome them? Maybe we'll start with William to get your insights. 
I think that's a really good question. And, and I think, as I recall back to our panel session at, at, at the meeting, when we each described our career path, clearly it was not a straight line. It was a very crooked, scenic route from where we started to where we are today. So a lot of that is because things unexpected happened or there were setbacks that you know forced us to have to change course and pursue things in a slightly different direction. So I think in in, in my experience, I, I wouldn't really call those either setbacks or failures. It's actually more just steers in a slightly different direction. And quite often that actually opens up new opportunities that we never thought of before. And it allow us to, again, step outside our comfort zone and try something a little bit different. Now, looking back at the time, it can be quite stressful when, when things don't work out exactly the way you've planned all your life. And But I think as you would go through those experiences, each time you, you, you do change course and each time you manage to still move forward and, and still do something that is, you know, useful and, and, you know, see your career start to develop. Each time you do that, you gain some confidence. And and then each time you face a setback, whether it's minor or major, it prepares you to deal with it much more confidently and maybe a little bit easier and maybe less stressful. So again, it's not like um, we, we, we talked about, you know, a lot of us at one time applied to med school and never got in. But we seem to be doing okay now, even though it didn't turn out to be a medical doctor. So, so I think we can kind of build on that. And and again, every time you face a challenge, it's always an, also an opportunity. And and just one last example I want to use is many students have heard about you know applying for a government job is sometimes can be very long, and quite often you don't succeed the first time, the second time, the third time because it is a process that you have to learn how to actually you know take on. But again, each time you apply for a job, even though you don't get the job, it's actually quite a good learning experience that would prepare you to now do things a little bit differently the next time you apply and you'll increase your chance of being successful. So I guess the bottom line is look at each challenge as a learning experience. And even if it's not positive, you look back later on, you you actually realize that it actually helped you get to where you need to go in just a slightly different direction and, and more maybe it'll take a more scenic route <laughs> than, than you would like, but you will get there. Yeah, thank you for that insight, William. And you brought up a really great point that as all four of our panelists were discussing um, at the career panel this year at CNS, um, their career journeys, many of you mentioned that you had different peaks and valleys in the journey. And Shirin, this was something that you really touched on when you were talking about your career path. How have you overcome challenges um, or setbacks in your career? Well, I can say that it definitely has not been been easy as for for many people. And um, but I can say that a huge part of the grad school experience, um, it, it is a huge part of that, and it does test our resilience. Um, I think resilience is more than just bouncing back. And in my experience with setbacks, or I don't like the word so much, but rejections. Um, for example, when I would apply for scholarships or even positions. I mean, it's normal to be disappointed. And I was sort of, you know, disappointed at first, but I would try to look at the bigger picture in my life and think about what my long-term goals are, both personally and professionally, and sort of what's really important. And 
And during my talk at the at the recent conference, I, I gave the example of a period of unemployment that I had during COVID, which was really out of my control and and related to funding. And, and yes, as, as William mentioned, it's stressful and nerve wracking. Um, but during these types of challenging situations, I've either tried to find a new path or perspective to either arrive at the same goal or an alternative plan that has often provided me with newer and even better opportunities. So I think that over time, um, you also accept that it's part of the process. And like you mentioned, there are peaks and valleys. Um, everyone will experience it. It's completely normal. And I think as William alluded to, uh, makes you stronger and provides you with a lot more uh, opportunities. So I think that's actually a really important message. Fantastic. Uh, one of the other concepts of, or lessons learned that came up during the symposium that really struck a chord with me was the importance of building short, medium, and long-term goals. And this was something that you specifically touched on, JP. So I'm hoping you can chat a little bit about what this means for you and how this has helped you in your career journey. Yes, thank you. Very good question again. Um, for me, setting these uh, short, medium, long-term goals was my way to uh, maybe uh, overcome that huge mountain that is doing a PhD or getting a job as a professor, which are like um, at the beginning of such process, it's very intimidating to, to set these goals. But for instance, during my, my PhD, um, I did position as a medium term goal, getting a major scholarship from a national or provincial uh, agency. So to get this, <clears throat> I think one needs to build an application, which will be assessed based on clear and distinct criteria. The project, your past experiences, contribution to science, all the stuff, the, the CV stuff. So, and these are the metrics. And when you know the metrics, you can set short-term goals to build these metrics, to build this such application, and then uh, work on your, that will help you get your medium-term goals and then progress toward the long-term goals. So for instance, for a, gr a grant or a scholarship application, having a, for instance, it's usually in the fall, so, uh, and we're now early June, so, Maybe having a first draft by July so that you can have your colleagues read it. So that in August, you send it the first version to your supervisor. So then September, you review it, fine tune it. And October, it's all aligned with the submission. It's well worked, well thought, well written, and aligned with the metrics. And then you submit and... Uh, that will certainly help you. And if it doesn't work here, well, you have it. You have at least tried first time. And then you, you, you look at the review report. You will analyze the review report and then set new shorter term goals to maybe work on where uh, uh, you didn't score as high as you thought and stuff like this. So then like this, you build uh, short medium and long-term goals. That's all I, I did. And I still do it, Yeah, of course. Thank you. As somebody who is finishing their PhD, I definitely um, 
resonate with that concept of it feeling like you're climbing a mountain. Um, Megan, at the symposium, you talked a lot about the different opportunities that you've had in your career. Um, how has this concept of setting goals um, helped you in your progression? Yeah, I love the concept of goal setting. And I liked how this question was framed as short, medium, and long-term goals, because often we hear about it as one year, three years, and 10 years. And that seems quite daunting. I like kind of taking the years and time frame out of it. So I think of short-term, and, and JP just hit on this, maybe it's focused on what are you going to do this semester? What are your goals this semester, this calendar year? Um, you know, I did quite a lot of that in graduate school to make it through in a timely fashion. You know, medium term, you know, one of my goals was to to get through my year. My program was three years. I wanted to hit three years. That was very, very challenging, but took dedication each semester to get in the right classes, to finish those classes, finish the internships. And I think of it, you know, goal setting is like a roadmap. Like you need to know, you know, where that final destination today might be. What are you thinking long term? But I think most importantly, and we've all seen this through the pandemic, is that can shift and change, and it should. It shouldn't stay, stay stagnant. Um, there's roadblocks that we just talked about. Same when you're traveling um, on a trip. There's going to be roadblocks and changes, and so shift. Um, you're going to change even personally throughout your career journey. We're all humans. Um, and so keep checking in on yourself of what you really want, and don't be afraid to change that, that long-term, maybe even medium-term goal. Um, and reassess. So if I can just uh, jump in there, if, if, if you don't mind, um, I, I love uh, all of what I've heard so far. And um, with, with um, Megan mentioning the, the roadmap, I think um, one thing that has helped me was writing a personal mission statement. So um, this is more, I guess, longer term, but this is something I learned at the Danone Leadership Institute in the U.S. And they brought some speakers from the Center for Creative Leadership who talked about this. And I thought it was super interesting. So this personal mission statement is sort of like your, your personal constitution. It defines who you are, how you'll live your life. It provides you with a sense of purpose. It requires you to reflect and, and you know, um, it requires deep introspection, careful analysis, thoughtful expression. So I found this that really good for, for long-term goals. And I think I agree with both uh, Jean-Philippe and Megan about the, their sort of approach to the short and, and medium term. Um, but I found this really good for long term. And of, of course, you can revise it as you experience life and as your path sort of as, as changes, as, as Megan mentioned. Great. Thank you, Sharon. I, I think all of these concepts of um, being adaptable and things changing as your career progresses um, really has uh, struck a chord with me and something that um, I find I have to apply throughout my training journey. William, how has this concept applied in your career? I, I think I agree with everything that's, that's been said. Um, I, I think the only thing to add would be that, you know, these long-term goals and, 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 and things like that, it, it's really, really, you need to be, the keyword is to be flexible. I think, you know, sometimes it all goes back to all these questions are interrelated. If you're not, flexible and you set your goals to be too rigid, then you almost feel like you're always failing, that you're not, you're not meeting everything you've set for yourself. And, and then you can be a little bit of a vicious cycle that, you know, you get frustrated and then stress level builds up. So I think, again, thinking more flexible, be able to adjust, especially your medium, long-term goals. 
very few of us know when we are, you know, graduating that we'll know exactly what we'll be doing, you know, 20 years from now. Uh, some people are lucky to be able to do that, but for most people, you know, you do have to adjust and, and, and where you end up is nowhere near where you thought you would be going. So, so good to have goals, but you need to be also flexible. Yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice for our trainees to take away. My final question to you is that if you could provide our listeners with some key pieces of advice based on the lessons you've learned in your career, what would that be? Let's start with you, Sharin. So I've learned uh, quite a lot of lessons, so I feel like I could probably go on for an hour about this. Um, But maybe going back to the subject of resilience, I would probably say don't be discouraged. So at the annual conference, I showed a slide with a photo that you're probably familiar with. Um, And obviously, I don't have a visual at the moment, so I'll have to describe it to you. But it's an iceberg with success written at the top and all of the factors that contribute to that success, which is the portion that's submerged uh, in the water that we don't see. So things like persistence and perseverance, rejections and setbacks, uh, discipline, risk, hard work, the occasional late nights or or maybe more than occasional that all of us have had, um, dedication, good habits, which are some of those. And, And I think the definition of success is different for everyone. And so as in that diagram, there's a lot that goes into success and that things take time. So we need to keep moving forward. And so my message is to keep at it stay motivated and try not to be discouraged. JP, what advice would you give to trainees? Um, I think that uh, on top of all of what we've discussed uh, today is to uh, maybe surround yourself with mentors from different backgrounds that will help you navigate um, academia system or other professional uh, uh, path, of course. And just in terms of academia, uh, I think it's important to create these connections with some mentors. And uh, for instance, if your primary thesis supervisor is a, an early career researcher, which is, so, so it will become some mentor for you, of course, but also take the time to connect with some more established researchers because they will have very different experience and uh, uh, they experience both different challenges in their career stage. And they can, uh, they can it will be very uh, um, helpful to, for, for, for you to thereafter set goals and to how to address the, 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 your next goals and to think about how to progress and transition in your careers. And the same applies if your primary supervisor is an established researchers connect with early career researchers that just did the transition so how they managed to do it how they, they they're dealing with this with families uh, young children all this so but it, this kind of person it will help you navigate the professional and how to integrate this your, your professional path in your also in your personal life so that will be my my uh, take-home advice. Thank you, JP. William, what advice would you give to trainees? I think, as I mentioned during the the panel discussion at at the conference, um, probably my main message is don't be afraid to step outside your comfort zone. 
a lot of you right now in your career, you work on maybe from some very narrow specific topic area. You're really, you know, expertise, you're experts in that particular field. But don't limit yourself to that because you have also learned a lot that you may not be aware of, like all your critical thinking, how you deal with, you know, your colleagues and your um, collaborators. Use that skill to expand your horizon. And it's sometimes scary to step outside your comfort zone, especially the first or second time. But each time you do that, you will be amazed what you learn about yourself and you can gain confidence. And each time you do that, the next time makes it, it makes the next time a little bit easier. And if you keep doing that, you're going to be challenging yourself. You're going to take a journey that will be very exciting. And when you look back, you'll be amazed how you got from point A to point B. And along the way, you probably get a lot of good experience, meet a lot of good friends and coworkers. And the journey in front of you is very exciting. So don't don't hesitate. Just go out there and challenge yourself and you'll be amazed. Thank you for that, William. I'm definitely feeling inspired now. Uh, Megan, we'll close out with you. Is there any advice that you would give to trainees? Yeah, I have three things. The first one would be stick to your passions. Um, do things that you really enjoy. Even if you're trying new things and you, you're uncovering that it is a passion, stick to those and, and don't spend too much time doing things you really dislike. Uh, the second one you know, is picking up on what JP was talking about, your network. So just understand the importance of your network. I know we talked a lot about this in person at CNS, but you're always building your network. All of us on this podcast today are still growing our network, still utilizing our network. And, and this is a small nutrition community. So just know, uh, take care of that network, treat it well and continue to build it. And then the third thing is really just enjoy the journey. I wish I had learned this when I was in school. I was just trying to rush through. Um, there are so many wonderful things along the journey at each point in your career, uh, in your schooling. So enjoy every, every moment, moment of it. Thank you all for sharing that excellent advice with our trainees. Throughout uh, the career panel at the symposium and through this podcast, I've learned so much. I've taken away many different uh, messages that I know will stick with me throughout the rest of my training journey. Uh, so I want to thank you all again so much for sharing your insight and experiences with us. On behalf of all the, the panelists, uh, again, thank you, Brock, for your great job in moderating both live in the live session and today. And it's been a pleasure to able to share some of our experiences with all the trainees and wish you all all the best in your career as you move forward thank you for tuning in to this episode of nutrition conversations we hope that you found today's discussion informative and inspiring if you're interested in hearing more about the latest research in nutrition health be sure to check out our website at cns-scn.ca-podcast for upcoming episodes. You can find us on various platforms including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Simply search for the Nutrition Conversations podcast on your favorite app and you'll have access to all our episodes in one place. We release new episodes at the end of each month, so mark your calendars and stay tuned for upcoming episodes. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode.